had that glow. You know the one you have when you meet the love of your life at a wedding in Hawaii? And he wants to make you his forever. The one you have when you know that nothing can go wrong at 36. Well, it only took three little words to dim my light. I felt like I was jumped in a gang, given these colors, the color pink. I soon learned there was nothing pretty in pink. Managing the ebbs and flows after a breast cancer diagnosis was never ending. Our life together was just beginning, but we had no future in sight. I'm now standing here in my chemo glow, willing to share my moments, because I soon learned that the glow doesn't define me. I define the glow. Hi, guys. Welcome to Chemo Glow, where the glow doesn't define me, I define the glow. I am so excited to be back with my first podcast in a while because you know that we have been doing live podcasts everywhere. And I took some time off because guess what? You need the time and you should be taking that time as well. But during taking this time off, I have met some amazing people. But before we get started with the podcast, I want to thank you guys for definitely coming back and looking at our YouTube page. Our subscribers numbers are going up. I want you to get on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Guys, you know you can find us anywhere. You can also contact us at chemoglow at gmail.com if you want to share your glow or just drop me a message. Tell us how we're doing. Please make sure you share, follow, and subscribe. I just want to hear from you. And if you've been on my Instagram page, you see that we are really doing some big things. I have some great people working with me behind the scenes, and they are making sure that Instagram page stays up. Because if you know me, I don't fool with Instagram. (laughs) I just don't, but I have to get better because that's how I reach more people. But you can also join us on Facebook. It is actually the Chemo Glow on Facebook. But if you look up Chemo Glow, we're going to be the first one that comes up. We're on Twitter too. Look at me trying to get my social media on. I want to make sure that you guys see us everywhere. So make sure you join us on all our platforms. And again, subscribe, hit that button. Want more subscribers, want to hear from you, whether you're watching on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, just watch us. Our podcasts are available everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, just Google us. We're there. Google is your friend. Well, while I was out, you know, taking some time, doing things behind the scenes, you guys check out our new website, chemoglow.com. I'm not going to try to fool with it now because I want to make sure I jump into this interview. But while I was out, I was still volunteering with the PFAC, 
Patient Family Advisory Council for UNC. I did my last, last stint with them as the vice president. Um, they really wanted me to be president, but guess what? I want to do some other things. I want to volunteer other places and I want to continue to grow my podcast. So I said, I'm not going to be the president. I wish I could, but I've been with them for so long that I'm staying on because we have so many great people that are doing great things. And one of the people that I happened to meet during Zoom, because we're still not seeing each other in person, was Miss Tina. Just seeing her over the screen, I knew that I wanted to interview her. And she started telling me her story. And it was so interesting that she was like, no pictures. I asked her for a picture and she's like, no pictures, please. And I love that about her because when I was going through chemotherapy, I didn't look like myself. I didn't sound like myself. I wasn't myself. And everybody used to say, oh, you look good. Well, that's where chemo glow came from. It came from, I define the glow because everybody knows when you're going through chemo, that glow is going to show. So how are you defining your glow? But then a week later, she sent me this beautiful picture and I love it. And I love the picture that is behind her. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in Miss Tina as we talk about no pictures, please. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I can't believe I'm here. <laughs> People don't understand how pleased I am to have you on because you don't have a social media footprint anywhere. Right. Like I can't <laughs> find you anywhere on yes. social media. And I tried <laughs> before I asked you to join me. I was like, well, let me look her up. Her name is unique. I can do it. And sure enough, you're nowhere on social media. So thank you for gracing me with your presence today. Um, I knew there was a connection across the screen. And again, we met at the PFAC. And was that, how long have you been with the PFAC now? You've had how many meetings? Um, I, first ones I had, I think, were back in um, December or so. Mm -hmm. I had been recommended. It had been mentioned to me over and over again while I was inpatient. And um, so I thought, all right, well, you know, I was looking to do something to start giving back and start rebuilding a life yeah. from, um, you know, from that point. And um, it, it was it was kind of amazing in a way because... Um, let me just backtrack a little bit. When I got admitted to the fourth floor, the cancer mm -hmm. floor at UNC uh, Cancer Hospital, um, it quickly became my room, which was a corner room, 4840. It was awesome. <laughs> um, I walked in there and I was like, man, I've had apartments smaller than this. Um, it was like a revolving door. Yeah. There were all kinds of people coming in. And I don't mean medical people to poke and prod and open your mouth mm -hmm. and bend over, you know, do all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't asked to bend over. It was nice. <laughs> they were nice that way. Um, but I had had this, I'm just on back up and back up. Uh -huh. um, when I got my diagnosis, which was not long before I got admitted. Yeah. Um, had that natural, I, what I think is probably a natural reaction. Um which was, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that goes through your head. And then 
I mean, I, re- I was talking about this last night and I so vividly remember this. I'm dra- I, where I lived had a very long driveway and I'm dragging the trash container up this long driveway and I'm talking to the dog and I kind of stopped and I thought, now this is November of 2020. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going to die. This is going to be an adventure with God. Mm. And the science is going to be fascinating. And I mm-hmm. like things medical and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself medically literate, but as far as the average bear, I'm probably a little more literate mm-hmm. and it interests me so much. And I thought, you know, after 34, 35 years of continuous sobriety, where, you know, it's drummed in your head, you are powerless over alcohol. I get the concept of powerlessness right now in a way I have never gotten it before. This yes. is You can't choose your way out of this because you can choose Mm-mm. to go to the liquor store or not. Yeah. You buy your way out of it. You can nothing. I can't charm nothing. my way out of it, flirt my way out of it, logic, mm-hmm. nothing. I am so powerless and I am so grateful that I had a higher power that I, it was palpable that I felt. And so when I got admitted, I was like, okay, this is the adventure. COVID's raging out there. I get to be in the bubble. COVID get me in here. I've got people fussing over me. Um, Several months before this diagnosis in June of 2020, my fiance had shot himself in our house, the house I was living in. And so I'd been dealing with his estate stuff and, cleaning out this huge house and I bought a townhouse and was renovating that and doing the estate stuff and the house at the beach and all this other stuff that was going on um, with the help of some very, very good friends. But, you know, bottom line is that you got to make those decisions. You got to do that yourself. So when I say I did it with friends, but it was, you know, the estate attorney didn't want to see my bud. They wanted to see me. Yes, so, they want uh, to see you and sign off on you and make sure that everything was correct. Right. But before you give me that story, I want to back up just a little bit more about when were you introduced to like the glow cancer? Um, had it affect you in any way before your actual diagnosis? Um, in uh, 1984, before I was sober. Um, my mother was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and, um, and my father died right after that, but I was raised by divorced parents. So his, his death from alcoholism did not impact me, Mm. um, in the way that typically a parent's death, you know, he'd been like, not really a factor in my life. My mother raised me. So my mother's diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And I remember, um, being in the hospital with her on the day of diagnosis, her first question to the doctor was, am I going to lose my hair? And I'm 68 years old. So do the math. That's 1984. And I'm thinking, who gives a shit? (laughs) Get away. This is not the point here. Yeah. But it was, you know, am I going to lose my hair? And he said, probably he was, he was a delightful man. He really was. Um, But he left the room and my mom and I kind of stood there and looked at each other. And she looked at me and she said, what am I going to do? 
I said, well, you can fight or you can lay down. And that decision is completely up to you. And out the door I went. That statement now seems a little harsh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, and maybe I was running from it too. But we come from very sturdy British stock. And the bottom line there is you're either going to fight or you're going to lay down. Yeah. That's the only two questions in my opinion. And, and it's your choice. And it's, it's your, your choice. choice. And when you're talking about defining your glow, like how do you define it? You know, am I going to lose my hair? My biggest thing wasn't my hair. It was my eyebrows because mm-hmm. I didn't wear makeup. So I knew I was going to look really special to <laughs> anyone. <laughs> I remember trying to put on my eyebrows and um, I was sitting on the top of my stairs and I was crying. I had one eyebrow on and my husband came upstairs and was like, oh, it looks fine. I'm like, really? I have one eyebrow. I'm looking real special. I didn't wear makeup. So I knew that was going to be my biggest thing. So mm-hmm. hair, I've been bald before. I've cut it off, but it's a different thing when you lose your hair. So being seeing your mother being diagnosed with cancer and then alcoholism, those two things connecting in your young life. Now, when you get older, does cancer affect your um, your life again? Because your mom eventually passed from cancer and your father passed away. And after that, how did your life look like? Well, my mother, fortunately, my mother lived long enough to see me get sober. Wow. Which has to be um, well, here we go. See, this is why we brought the point. <laughs> um, one of the greatest gifts that I was able to give her because, you know, when there is an alcoholic in your life, they rob you of your peace of mind. Hmm. They don't think, oh, I'm not hurting anybody but myself with my, no, you are robbing everybody of their peace of mind. And I had, I was an only, I'm an only child. So, you know, I had robbed her of her peace of mind. And for her to go into whatever lies beyond, Mm -hmm. knowing that her only child was going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Because once I walked through those doors and decided, yep, I, you know, I don't know how to live. Alcoholism is what's standing in the way of learning how to live. Because alcohol is just a symptom of a problem. Yes. Once I did that, I was locked in. And, and she knew it. And I was able to give her that peace of mind. And so, um, you know, I'm 30 something years of age at that point, And I have no mom, no dad. I'm, I'm on my own. I live in New York. And um, life was, you know, it just it just went on. You just deal, you know, all these yeah. people think it. That's why I have very little patience in some ways. I have compassion, but kind of a lot. Sometimes I don't have the patience with people that are like, oh, I can't do that. And oh, I can't do that. You don't know what you can do until you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I believe, has so much more inside them than they know. But for whatever reason, they don't, you know, there was nobody to turn to. You know, my mom's dead. My dad, he was never anybody to turn to in the first place. And I've got me and I've got, you know, friends and stuff, but it's me. Yeah. I'm living my life. I moved from New York to North Carolina with the man who would then later become my husband once he got um, his divorce went through and all that stuff. And um, I'm just, you know, cranking along. We're living a 
blissfully mundane. (laughs) You know, it's it's nothing special. It's nothing glamorous. He went from being a CFO in the company in New York to the executive director of Habitat for Humanity of Wake County. Oh, wow. Um, And because of his business acumen, he he snatched it back from the brink of, of, of almost extinction and um, set it up, you know, so that uh-huh. it could continue. And it and it's and he was there for five years. So all the growth that we've seen after that, I mean, he he set it on its feet and said, "Okay, now go." It's, yeah, I don't it's, claim any um, glory for him in what Habitat's grown into now in Wake County, but um, I can assure you that if it hadn't been for his arrival on the scene when he did, it might not be here. So anyway. He got a lot of satisfaction out of that. Mm-hmm. And um, so we left that because he was an accountant by trade and started another guy across the street, wanted some business help. And long story short, he got into the business with him of doing trim carpentry. Now, not hands on because he was not a carpenter, although uh-huh. he renovated our house every weekend for five years. <laughs> I got a contractor's license out of it. I was like, I know how to do this, man. Uh, I can't build a house, but I know how to. I understand it a lot better than I did in the beginning. And um, so he's running that company. It was called Triangle Carpentry. It still exists today. Uh-huh. And I'm selling high-end new construction, real estate. It's just a natural fit. I had gone through some very unsuccessful career moves. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not a corporate person. Um, although weirdly, I ended up as a lobbyist for an HMO at one point. Um coming out of my work at the legislature and, but I find my niche in real estate and I am a natural. (laughs) Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. There was never a day that I felt like, Oh shit, I got to go to work. I mean, I just loved it and it just came naturally. And so our life is going along and we've renovated the house and we're just that and the other. And I'm like, I always wanted to build a house from scratch, Uh not me build one, but have one built because I'm selling these gorgeous houses and I want one. Um, and so we decide that we're going to do this mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to have a lot completely paid for before we started. Cause I see too many people get into this stuff and they are just, you know, they're over all the their heads on. Yeah. They're over yeah. The and, and the joy's gone. If you've got to yeah. worry about, you know, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, but there's nothing on the windows. There's no furniture and you can't go out to dinner. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> house poor is what house I call poor, it. Big time. Yeah. Anyway, so we're cranking along there and um, Richard, his name is Richard, mm-hmm. gets a um, a little basal cell thing on his ear. A little skin cancer thing. No big deal. He goes to um, a Mohs, you know, take it off with Mohs surgery. with, mm-hmm. like And um, that was a particularly important day at my job and I could not go with him. And he'd been like, nah, I don't need you to go with me. Now nah, I don't need you to go with me. Oh, good. Cause I got a lot draw. I got to do with these builders and I really have to be there. So he goes and does that. I go and do my thing. We reconvene in the bathroom at home while he's um, looking at his ear. And uh, yeah. he said something about, and he's pissed because I wasn't there. I'm like, you said, and you didn't need me. <laughs> anyway. Um, we're talking about that. And he says, no, no, this is my biggest fear. And I said, really? I Seriously, sweetie, I did not know that about you, that skin cancer was your biggest fear. He says, no, my biggest fear is that something will happen to me before we start the house and I'll ruin your dream. 
Oh. Take that moment and project it forward 12 months. I'm sitting in the dermatologist's office. Richard has this lump that has come up on his neck. He's at a um, ENT office. I'm at my dermatologist just because I look at me. I need to go to the dermatologist. <laughs> um, and um, my phone rings and it's our builder. And he says, got your building permit? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Right behind it comes a phone call from Richard. He says, doctor says these are non-differentiated cells and he has uh, scheduled me for a CAT scan and a PET scan as soon as possible, which is next Friday. And I mean, this shot through me like lightning. And I knew. Mm -hmm. I just knew he's going to die. And about two weeks later, we have a diagnosis, stage mm -hmm. four lung cancer. This is 19, uh, this is 2005, August of yeah. 2005. And we got home. We're standing in the kitchen. He looks at me and says, I'm going to die. And I said, yeah, you are. But you're also going to get to find out what everybody wants to know. Yeah. That is what happens next. Wow. And this, these micro expressions went across his face. And I could tell that he'd never considered. I, I didn't know where that came from. Yeah. It didn't come from me. It came through me. I had never uttered those words to a soul before. But when I said them, I could see them make a difference. And four months later, uh, we came home from dinner one night. The house is, oh, we bagged, obviously, we bagged the house building project. But he, <laughs> said, well, he says, yeah, you need a project. Let's put the addition on this house that you drew a couple years ago. He says, because you need a project. It can't be me because it can't be yeah. all, all the time. You're going to make me nuts. And I'm thinking, I've got 12 builders. I am selling houses almost faster than I can write them up. You've got a booming business doing all kinds of trim carpentry for like all the production builders. You know, name the top few and we're doing it. And I need another project. Like I need a third eye. But Okay. So the builder who was going to build our house switched over to doing the addition. And um, so we're at electrical rough-in, which is, you know, we've got anybody who knows construction is, you know, the, the addition is on. There's a thousand square foot addition and we're at electrical rough-in, which means you have no sheetrock, no nothing. You've got wires going through studs. I remember those days when we were building that. our home. Walking through, we're at the rough ends. There's so many stages when you're building something yeah. or adding on something. So you're yeah. at the electrical rough end. We're at the electrical rough end. I mean, the, the, there's Tyvek all over the house. I mean, you can get into this house with a sheetrock knife. There's no security. <laughs> there's no nothing. It's December. Um, I've got oh, it's cold over. Yeah, over the opening to the main addition so that we can keep some heat in the house. And Richard's mm -hmm. in his bedroom and I'm in the other bedroom and Furniture's been shifted around and there's three whippets, three dogs, mm -hmm. like greyhounds took a greyhound, put it on a Xerox and reduced it 50%. Poof, you got a whippet. <laughs> um, fabulous dogs. About a month before we had had a dachshund as well as the three whippets. His name was Boo Radley. And we, Richard and I looked at him one day and all of a sudden Boo's got this like tumor. 
And I was like, oh, you know, we hadn't noticed this. So um, I said to Richard, I said, okay, um, if that's not better by Monday, um, we need to take Boo to the vet. And he says, what do you mean we? He says, I'm dealing with enough death issues. <laughs> I said, yeah, and I'm just on a freaking joyride here. Okay, I'll <laughs> Caregiver. Being yeah. a caregiver is That's something else. People don't understand when you're being diagnosed with cancer, whoever is with you is also being diagnosed. Like they, they're going to, it's going to be a part of their life as well. Cause they're walking with you. So your mood swings. Now, you know, you know, the things that you go through, they go through with you and, but they're trying to be kind about it and not say what's really on their mind. Yeah which I think is important that they have a place to say what's really on their mind. Cause you feel like choking someone out, even though you're, you're you <laughs> love them, you want them to be well. Right. But yeah, in the same I, breath, you're like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified. And yeah. um, I was absolutely terrified. And I had, uh, I remember writing, um, grabbing my journal mm. and writing about his diagnosis and asking God, in the journal, if this is to be the end, please let it be swift, let it be painless and leave him his dignity. Mm. And I was asking that as much from me as I was for him. So, um, Boo's got the tumor. I take, I come home, I hand Boo to daddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that I said, you know, just in case this is curtains, yeah. Um, say goodbye to Boo. And I go off and do something. I'm gone for like five minutes and I come back down the hall to get Boo to get ready to go. And I hear Richard talking to Boo. And he's telling him what a good boy he is. And he says, and you're a fat boy because he was a little porky dog. <laughs> and, um, and he says, and daddy, I'll see you soon. Mm. And I'm hearing this in the hall. And I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, you just boom, shut it down and go on to the next thing. I take Boo. He's got a tumor. They put him down. I go by the grocery store and get something for dinner and come home. And it's like, it was that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, put the dog to sleep, get a chicken, do the laundry, check his meds. I mean, yeah. all these weird things that you do as a caregiver. A month later, we come home from, and he was doing fine. I mean, he was working in the hospice. People had to like wait for him to get off the phone or off something. <laughs> that, you know, to be with him. And um, we come home from dinner and like I can say, he's sleeping in one room. I'm sleeping in the other. He goes to bed. He takes his two little Debbie Swiss cake rolls, takes his meds. He goes in the bedroom. A little while later, I hear him coughing and he's coughing. And then I hear a cough that sounds wet and violent. And I get up and I walk down the hall and he's in the bathroom and blood is blowing out of his mouth. Like he's got a fire hose up his ass. I mean, wow. it is explosive. It is everywhere. It is all over the walls, all over the toilet, all over him. And every time he closes his mouth, he fills up with more blood until the pressure's too much and he's bleeding out. And that's how he died. So that was that. That was a Saturday night on um, Monday morning. I was El Presidente of his company running my real estate thing 
And uh, I mean, I mopped up the blood. Did I call the hospice nurse? She says, well, honey, I can't get there for about 45 minutes. Why don't you call EMS? EMS, he's dead. Yeah. Really? Anyway, um, and I kind of went through uh, a place where I was going through the motions and doing everything. I was going to ask you, did you just go through the motions? Because as a caregiver, like you were saying, the routine, you knew it. Even though the dog was sick, drop him off, put him down. I got to go get chicken. I got to go get groceries. I got to check meds. And even with seeing your husband going through this, they're saying they're going to be 40 minutes behind, 45 minutes behind. Well, I have to mop this up and he's still here. Someone has to pronounce him. What's next? And you just go through the routine. And on Monday, you're now, you know, over his company, running your real estate business. And life goes on for so many people while yours is standing still, but the routine is still happening. Like you're just going through the motions. So on that Monday, when you actually now have to take over what he's going through, do what you need to do, and you have to bury your husband, how'd you do it? How'd you get through? Um... It really was this put one foot in front of the other thing. It really was. I um, it I remember thinking that God had actually answered my request hmm. because bleeding out is swift. It's painless. And there was only the two of us. So we had his dignity. Hmm. And then God and I kind of, I don't want to say we parted ways, but I was angry. And I mean, this is the only person I have in the world. I have no family. Yeah. And I can remember writing, 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 writing. And I remember talking out loud and thinking, Mm -hmm. you feckless thug, you got to take the only person I have in the whole world. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm like, I can't let go of God. Yeah. But Man, I want no part of your ass right now. None, none. I I have been there where I was so bad. Like, I I was like, I'm done. I'm not going. We were going to church. We were doing all these things. And I was like, I am done. And my husband was like, yeah, you can have that moment, but you can't live there. And he's like, you're mad now, but he's still going to be there. Well, I'm going to stay mad until I get ready. Mm -hmm. And so he was just... Let me have my moments because you're so mad at so many things and you have nobody. Cancer, you can't beat up cancer. Cancer beats up on you and everybody it touches. So you can't beat up on cancer. So what do you do? You get upset, you get mad, and then all of a sudden you kind of get through. Not get through like I'm forgetting what happened. That routine now starts to become the norm and you kind of start feeling like yourself again, but not really. So I don't know, how did you, after getting upset and being mad and moving through the motions, what came next for you? What came next was finding some peace with that. I was reading a book by C.S. Lewis, because I'm reading everything I can lay my hands on to get me mm-hmm. through. I'm a Lewis. Uh-huh. It's a book called A Grief Observed. And in the book, this major Christian writer Meanwhile, at that time, I thought he'd only written the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what a like a heavy <laughs> dude he was. Um, anyway, he's 
writing in there about the death of his wife. That's what A Grief Observed is about. It's also what the movie Shadowlands is about. It's an old movie with Anthony Hopkins and I can't remember who else, but that's about C.S. Lewis and the death of his wife. But okay. in, in this writing, he is writing, if this is the kind of God you are, I want no part of you. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe if a major Christian writer can write that and get it published, I'm not just having some self-pitying tantrum. Mm -hmm. It legitimized my anger. And then, of course, I heard from other people that, you know, God can bear your anger, all that other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but it was a pathway back to it. Mm -hmm. And then... About 18 months, I mean, it fades. Grief fades. Mm -hmm. Leo Buscalia back from the 70s was kind of like touchy-feely before Dr. Phil was. Um, and in that role on TV, uh -huh. um, he said, "The you never stop mourning the person, but yeah. the incidents of grief are further and further apart. Yeah, And that's I think that's an extremely accurate thing. So I'm back and doing my meetings and trying to get out of myself and help other people. And I'm selling houses left and right. And I'm running his company, which I never wanted to own a company. <laughs> like I wake up on Thursday and go, Oh God, it's payroll. You know, because <laughs> um, I've got all these crews and, and, and um, I had some very good people around me, some very honest people, some mm -hmm. people that were um, certainly if I had checked their document, document, their documentation any closer um that wouldn't have been a good thing for them they were honorable they showed mm -hmm. up they were good and i couldn't have done it without them yeah but anyway um i'm in this meeting and i'm talking about how i had felt through this thing and that I, this otherworldly feeling like i was going through the motions but i was also like watching myself live mm -hmm. my life it was just like being on a, in a parallel universe. And I said, you know, every time I go into a Hallmark store, it seemed I kept encountering this cheesy little footprints thing everywhere you looked at. <laughs> it was burned into this piece of wood. It was, you know, damn. And I'm embarrassed now to say in this meeting that, that I thought of it that way because mm -hmm. I can tell you that I have just lived this. And that otherworldly feeling mm -hmm. is the feeling of being carried. Mm. And when, after Ken killed himself, which was, I mean, I'm talking to you about stuff in 2006, 2007. I didn't even meet Ken until 2010, but in 2020, just a few days after he died, I'm standing in the kitchen talking to the dog. That's what we should have called this podcast, talking to the dog. Talk to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could have used his picture. He's gorgeous. Anyway, um, I'm talking to the dog, whose name is Dash. And I could feel, it was like, I know what that feeling is. It was back. This otherworldly feeling. He, mm -hmm. Ken hadn't been dead. A, I mean, it was a few days after he died, maybe into the next week, middle of the next week. He died on a Thursday. So this is less than a week later. And I was like, that's that feeling. Yeah. And I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't. 
even wigged out by the fact that I had to keep walking in and out of this room where he had shut himself in this room and put a 45 revolver to his head. It was just like, I'm, I'm good. God's right here. And everything that I had to do kind of just fell into place. The next thing happened after the next thing happened after the next thing happened with like perfect scheduling perfect calmness, Mm. perfect resolution. People came into my life. My friends, some of my friends, you know, were in there from the night Ken died and it just flowed. It was amazing. I I remember one time I was driving and I had Dash with me. I think we were, I was taking him to the groomer because he's a standard poodle. So he's, he's got to have his hair done too. (laughs) I can't wait to get back to that point. Anyway, um, So he's in the front seat because, I mean, he can't ride in the back Uh seat. He's in the front seat and we're coming up on a light. So I need to make a left-hand turn and we're coming up on this light and this light is red and I've I've got maybe six cars in front of me. And because everything was just, and I turned to him and I said, watch this. And I get up there, the car goes, the car goes, the car goes, car in front of me, light Mm -hmm. Green bang, and I'm through. I'm not sitting at this red light. I mean, it was freakish how everything mm-hmm. flowed. And and that's not to say everything was perfect. There there was some shit that came down. To, but you know, even that, you know, money and death and greed and all that stuff. You know, it makes people weird. come together. Yeah, it and, makes people weird. And before we move on to your diagnosis, you met your fiance. Um. And how long were you guys together before your life changed again, before it blew up? Before it blew up. We lived in that house from 2014 to 2020. We had Mm -hmm. known each other um, through many mutual friends. Mm -hmm. And um, he was... He was married when we met Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah, good. You know, that's nice. Um, (laughs) Not doing that. Um, But sometimes um, 12 step programs, everybody read between the lines here. 12 step programs make, um, they make, you make extremely close relationships in those because you have this common bond. Yes. You may be, you know, a ditch digger and this guy is a doctor, but what you have in common is that you both have this disease and you both have that way of thinking and you both have been places that, you know, it's kind of like cancer. Only a cancer survivor can talk to another cancer survivor in that way. And get it. And get it. Every, and same thing with alcoholism, the analogy, the, it is, there's so much interwovenness there. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so we, we've been living in this house and we've got the dog and, you know, we're doing the whole thing. And, um, then he kills himself and I'm doing all this other stuff. And then um, I decide, and, and, and I'm looking at me losing weight mm-hmm. and I feel okay, but I feel kind of tired. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, cause you get up at 6am and you run like your ass is on fire all day long. <laughs> you got all this stuff to do. And there's nobody here. I mean, there's friends, but, you know, basically you're doing it and you're trying to eat right. And then you finally make yourself a really good dinner and you fall asleep in your chair with a fork in your hand and you get up, go to bed and get up and do it again the next day. So, yeah, of course, you're losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then it got to be early November and I thought, okay, time to go get a flu shot. Don't be an idiot. You know, you're not bulletproof. I mean, we got COVID. We don't have any vaccines yet. You know, nothing. Yeah. I'm wearing a mask sometimes, sometimes not. It just depends on if I brought one with me, you know. And um, so I go to my doctor and um, get a flu shot. And he says, um, you know, he, he's he's Dracula. He draws blood every time you <laughs> see him. Don't you <laughs> love it? And um so he calls me a couple of days later and he says, um, I've made an appointment for you with, with a hematologist. You need to see this person. And your appointment is such and such and such a time. I'm like, okay. It just so happens to be at the practice that treated Richard. The same practice that my husband had been at. And I'm like, my doctor's name is Jim. I said, Jim, <laughs> you cannot imagine the kind of, yeah. Holy shit. I'm going back to there. Mom yeah. Says, you need to go. He says, there's something going on with your blood. And I thought, don't be an idiot, Tina. Just go. Mm -hmm. Now I have never been. I had the flu when I was 18. I had the flu again in 2017 or 2018. In between there, nothing. Nothing. I mean, nothing. Never been in a hospital. Um, well, I had my tubes tied, but that's not, I mean, that's elective, you know, but yeah. nothing, nothing wrong with me. Now I, I go years. I was the kid that in elementary school, like never missed a day of all of elementary school, not just one grade, two grades, the whole thing. Um, so just blessed with phenomenal health, excuse me. And, um, so anyway, I go to this doctor and I call my best friend in Charlotte and I said, you know, you need to come with me. You were on the Richard journey and, and this is back in the same practice. So, you know, you need, I need another pair of ears. She's very medically literate. Mm -hmm. She comes, um, they draw blood, da, 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 da. They set up an appointment for a bone marrow biopsy. Um, I go for the bone marrow biopsy. The guy gives me, um, shit, what did he give me? It was a load. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, it was morphine. Mm. And it was two of morphine and something else of Ativan, maybe. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But I, I couldn't get it again. They would not give it to me in the hospital <laughs> for the next bone marrow biopsy. Um, but and then he then he asked me a question about real estate. And of course, I just started vomiting words. And yeah. I don't remember anything about this thing. So okay, we got bone marrow biopsy done. <clears throat> I'm high as a kite. I go home. I'm like, it's a legal high. I've been high in 30 something years. Yeah. Um, I go home and I've got another uh, appointment with him scheduled about two weeks later. Well, about a week after the bone marrow biopsy, my phone rings and this person says, hi, this is, you know, little Mary Sunshine from UNC Cancer Hospital. And I'm calling you about your admission. I said, what admission? <laughs> I didn't admit shit. Um, <laughs> she says, um, for your leukemia. I said, I don't have leukemia. She oh. says, uh, uh, nobody called you. Nobody told you. I said, let me call you back. So I call the hematologist's office and ask to speak to this doctor. Mm -hmm. And the person on the phone says, well, na, 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 you know, all the shit that they say about the reasons why I can't talk. To this <laughs> yeah. I said, sweetie, let me put it to you this way. 
I said, you either go and get this doctor on the phone now, or I'm going to come down there and you're going to wish you'd never come to work. Mm -hmm. Your choice. Hold on, please. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's like, hello? Hello? Yeah. (laughs) He's on the phone, right? He's on the phone. And uh, I said, I just had a call from UNC Cancer Hospital about my admission. He says, oh, my God, I had no idea they would call you this soon. I said, buddy, how long you been doing this? Mm. Don't you know better than to call the patient first and then call the hospital? What have I got? Mm. You have acute myeloid leukemia. I am referring you to, can I say doctor's names here? Yeah, you said whatever you want. To, to Joshua Zeidner. I said, okay, so you're handing me off to Zeidner, right? He says, yes. I said, thank you very much. Click, goodbye. Yeah. I called the cancer hospital back. I said, all right, let's rock and roll. What are we doing? Uh, all right. Now I know. I call what became my team. Mm-hmm. I get everybody over to the house. Oh, so you called a, a meeting and everybody I called came. a meeting because I love it. we have this house under contract. We are closing in less than a month. It's a 4,200 square foot house on four acres that sold for big bucks. Yes. Right? So it's it's not one of those things where there'll be 16 people in line to buy it. Right <laughs> after, you know, if this, if this thing crashes. So you must have seen the article yesterday? No. For, uh, for real estate, there was a house um, in Raleigh that was going for $300,000. And it, um, the line was around the corner, around the, I saw the blurb about that. And and, yeah, like four people hit me up on it and I was just like, okay, but yeah, I got you. It's on four acres. It's a beautiful house. It's a custom home. And I mean, custom in that there's not another one like it. Mm. It's got a koi pond. It's got a 50,000 gallon pool. It's Mm -hmm. got a vegetable garden, a rose garden, and it is not everybody's cup of tea because Mm -hmm. It's not five, four and a door. It, it's a unique property and it's expensive and it's yeah. expensive to operate. So I had a buyer. We were through all the bullshit that goes with, you know, mm-hmm. due diligence and this and that and the other stuff. And that's happening. Meanwhile, I bought a townhouse in the midst of all of this. Mm-hmm. And the builder who originally was going to build Richard's house, or my house mm-hmm. with Richard, is renovating the townhouse that I bought. So that's getting ready. I mean, I am right at the point where I'm going to close on this house and I'm going to move into my new life. Mm-hmm. Except, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> when you make plans, he laughs at you. Yeah. He's like, let me show you something. You're going to move into 4840 on the fourth floor. <laughs> anyway. And so, you know, I'm, furniture's going to these friends and some furniture's going to my new place and other furniture's getting donated. And then the buyers want some furniture and all. I mean, and there's boxes of stuff. There's stuff. There's stuff. I have a, I ex- gave up alcohol and substituted shoes and clothes. <laughs> so, you know, there's all this stuff. And I really, you know, I'm doing it. And I thought I had plenty of time. Well, all of a sudden, no, you're going into the hospital next week. So you got like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, boom, Tuesday, you're in the hospital. And then Thursday's Thanksgiving. So this is where our time frame is. So I get everybody together and um, we just started making plans, you know, mm-hmm. do this, do this, do this, do this. A friend of mine who was, <clears throat> excuse me, president of one of Ken's companies is a nurse. And... Um, 
she'd just been whining to me about a month prior about, oh, I'm tired. What am I going to do? I called her up. I said, hey, guess what? <laughs> I have <laughs> plenty for you to do. Project for you. It's me. <laughs> um, so after everybody got over the shock and the, and the mm -hmm. tears and the, you know, um, they got busy. And it was that day or the day after, anyway, somewhere in there that I had the moment in the driveway with Dash where I'm like, um, no, I'm not going to die. This is going to be an adventure with God. The science mm -hmm. is going to be fascinating. And all I have to do is control my attitude, bring mm -hmm. the funny, because I'm a funny fucker. <laughs> just go with it. It's going to uh -huh. be all right. And I'm going to get to go into a thin space. Mm. Which people know what a thin space is. For those who don't, a thin space is not every hospital is a thin space, but um, some people think they are. It is places all over the world. And sometimes they're just personal to you as a thin space where that veil between this world and the next is particularly thin. Mm -hmm. And I really did see it as an adventure. And I thought, you know, God made his presence known to me in, in such a palpable way. Not long after Ken died mm. and removed one of my major character defects, which is self-pity. Just yeah. removed it because God can see around corners. Mm. And God knew that I needed to feel his presence in a way that I had never felt it before because of what was coming down the road for me and that I could not afford self-pity. I could mm. not afford anything except faith. And the idea that my worst case scenario here is that I get to find out what happens next. Because dying is the ultimate get out of jail free card. It doesn't matter if the laundry's done. It doesn't yeah. matter if somebody finds your dildo in the nightstand. <laughs> it does not matter. Matters. You're gone. You're gone. And whatever someone thinks of you, wants to say to you, you're gone. You're gone. And and you, I think a lot of people, we think about death like, like we're going to be gone and we're going yeah. to miss all these things. You're not going to miss shit. You're not here. You know, it's yeah. not like you're going to have to watch Susie and your husband have a life together. You, I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, it, it's we only know it through the framework of losing something and then having to endure the feeling of loss. Yeah. I think when you're dead, you don't endure any feeling of loss. Mm -hmm. So off I went to the hospital, got this awesome corner room. Um. Met with Zeidner. Now, I must tell you, when you, when Jane rolled up to the front of the cancer hospital and, you know, it's you and it's your suitcase, you're not there on some freaking mission of mercy yeah. somebody or anything else. When it's you, you're like, oh, my God. Because your cancer, let's let's talk a little bit about your cancer and what the treatment was, because you're rolling up to the hospital with a suitcase. You're not rolling up to the hospital for like four hours of chemo. You're mm. rolling up with a suitcase. So your cancer, was it a rare form of cancer? I don't know. Um, I think it's not rare, rare. It's acute myeloid leukemia. Okay. Which when I have mentioned that, in fact, I mentioned it to somebody recently who had reason to really know about that because she's mm -hmm. married to a hematologist. She went, oh, wow. <laughs> she went, ooh. Like, okay. Don't um, you hate that when they're like, what? 
Oh, that cancer. That one, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew it was no joke. Yeah. So I go in there and the first person I meet um, is uh, Zeidner. Mm. So I walk in there, Zeidner's, um, he's got on jazzy socks. He's got product in his hair. He does. He's from <laughs> Jersey. Yep. And he shoots it to you straight. And, and that's exactly what you needed too. And I needed, right? So he says, okay, here's what we're going to do here. He says, this is very serious. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. Um, he says, we're going to do um, a chemotherapy um, that's called Vixios. It is, you're going to have it on day one, day three, and day five. That's it. It is a very aggressive chemotherapy. It is a combination of, I believe, Danarubicin and Cytarabine. Um, and he says, it's not known to have very severe side effects. And we've got mm -hmm. meds for that, even if there is, and, um, you do not lose your hair. <laughs> I'm like, rock on mom. <laughs> um, and he says, but the fix for this is a bone marrow transplant. That was his words. The fix for this is a bone marrow transplant. And that's where we're headed. And I stood up, I had a rolling suitcase. I stood up and I said, then let's rock and roll, baby. Mm -hmm. And he says, okay, okay, we got a couple other things we need to talk about. <laughs> he had yeah. to love you. Well, I think he did. I mm -hmm. really do think he did. Um, I think he does actually. So mm -hmm. anyway, I get admitted. It's a blur. It's a total blur. Mm -hmm. A while later, I ran into a, a nurse practitioner and she's like, oh, hello, yeah, I admitted you. I admitted you. And I'm like, sorry, not there. <laughs> so, so it's nice to meet you. Um, and in fact, that was the case when I kind of re-met Zeidner after I got out of the hospital, because even though I can recall that vividly, mm -hmm. um, that was I know there was a lot of other dialogue in between there, but I yeah. recall him telling me about that. I remember that. I mean, uh, medical stuff sticks to me. Vixios, the combo, the one, three, and five, the transplant. Let's rock and roll. That's all mm -hmm. I remember. His socks and the stuff in his hair. <laughs> he was a straight shooter. I just, I just, love that. I was like, please do not give me somebody who's going to euphemism me. Today. Oh, I had one of those doctors. I did not have that doctor anymore. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know. We have a challenge of bullshit. It's a fucking problem, isn't it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, don't give me that. Anyway, um, so we start. I'm in my room, and um, Jane's with me. She gets everything all set up. She leaves, and um, one of the things they told me was that I was going to get an IJ. And, um, you know, I'm walking around the halls. Yeah. I'm ambulatory and everything, and I see somebody with this thing, and I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> that's intrajugular. I get what they're telling me. I don't want yeah. one of those. Mm -hmm. I'm sick. I'm sick. Just bleeding out of your, you know. Yeah. Like now know. everybody sees it. Yeah. And how yeah. do you sleep on your side with that? You know, anyway. So a couple days, next day, I guess, whatever. Um, they come to get me because I'm going to um I'm going to get my I'm going to mm -hmm. VIR to get my uh doodah here. And I come back and I've got a Hickman. There's nothing sticking out of my neck. I got a Hickman. Oh, wow. Three lumens. I'm like, awesome. Looks like an octopus <laughs> hanging out of my chest. Um, and the next day is, uh, and I meet the team. I meet um, 
the attending and the resident and who was Cuban. And I grew up in Miami in London, but I grew up a lot in Miami and mm -hmm. uh, I've always been super predisposed to Cubans. I just, I just like them. I think it took tremendous courage to come here in a little mm -hmm. tiny boat and be, you know, make another life. And uh, so I had him, I had a guy named Lecomte who was the intern. Um, he was from Greensboro and a, um, the attending at that time was a woman named Bevan, like very nice woman named Bevan. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the next day arrives, it's Thanksgiving. You know, I'm the holidays. I'm walk, watching my parade, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. You know, never did that when I lived in New York because it's much better on TV. And, um, you know, I'm getting meds from time to time. And somebody's mm -hmm. always asking me to, you know, open your mouth and let me take your vitals. And how much do you weigh? I'm like, I'll weigh the same as I did four hours ago. Leave <laughs> you just want to write on the, look at the board. Yeah. Look at the board. And I'm talking to everybody, uh -huh. you know, and about everything. I mean, I'm just out there, man. I'm just like, you know, let me tell you what's happened here. My fiance killed himself. I'm just yeah. something years. I'm now here. What the fuck? You know, <laughs> but everybody laughed. Yeah. And people started, this is the revolving door. Yeah. People started coming in. Somebody told me you're a real estate agent or you used to be a real estate agent. I'm thinking of buying a dungeon. Can I talk? Yes, you can talk yes. to me. Of you can talk to me about that. And so there was that. And then somebody came in and my uncle is moving here from Ohio and he's, he's been trying to be sober for da, 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 da. So we talk about that. I mm -hmm. mean, everything and every, anybody came in and I guess the word spread. Meanwhile, I'm walking the halls like a crazy yeah. person because I'm walking. Yeah. I'm not getting, letting up on the exercise thing. And so Thanksgiving day, they come in, they start hanging the bags for the pre-meds and all the other stuff they got to do. And then they come in with the chemo and I'm like, this doesn't even smell like Turkey people. I mean, <laughs> and um, were they all dressed up, um, had on their little gear because they're not supposed to be near the chemo. Um, for me, the red devil, we, they had to put on certain stuff. I don't think so. I don't know, okay. but like the yellow gowns, like the hazmat yeah. looking mm -hmm. things. I don't, I can't remember. I really can't okay. remember. Um, it's probably too busy being funny. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that was how I was keeping all this horror at bay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that all starts and somewhere around there the next day, whatever, because it's one, three, five. So it's day one. Um, I'm having a bad day. Hmm. My faith has seemed to have flown the coop. I'm afraid. Um, like, I mean, it really kind of hit me like, yeah, look where you are, look what's got look down. Oh my God. You know, reality it frightened me. It really did. And then it what frightened me more was that I was afraid because I was like, what kind of faith have you got if you're afraid? What what does this mean? What is you know, da 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 da? And I'm having one of those days where I really can't even talk to anybody. And this doctor walks in, different guy, because Bevan's gone, and here's the mm -hmm. new attending. And he walks in, and um, he says, um, well, good morning, Mrs. Me, and how are you doing? I'm like, I mean, I cannot get my shit together. And my faith, and my this and that, and that's what I'm talking about, is my faith. And he says, hmm, he says, you're wrestling with God. Mm. How's that going for you? 
And I thought, you son of a bitch, you're actually right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And he sat down and we talked about that. We talked about a book I'd read when Richard, after Richard died called Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope, mm. which is about the story of Jacob and the angel. Yeah. And wrestling with God. And he left. I, we never talked about my medical condition at all. We talked about God. And he left. And then that night, I happened to talk to my friend Carol. And she says, I was talking to, also, I didn't want anybody to know. There was this core group of people and nobody. Mm. I am witness protection private. The thing about no pictures, <laughs> no joke. So um, Carol calls and she said, I knew you wouldn't mind this because I was talking to Steve and he lives in Michigan and nobody knows mm-hmm. you in Michigan. But I told him that you had AML. And he said, oh, yeah, my dad had that 25 years ago. And I was like, that's how God speaks through people. Mm. And the fear went away. I mean, it had, once I kind of identified it, it just went away. And I just went back to being again. Yeah. And I had no side effects. I mean, it's easy to be. Yeah. And be chill with it all and walk the halls and do your marathon and be little, you know, social ambassador up there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> social moth. Yeah. Butterfly was more like a moth. Um, when, you know, you're not puking and pooping every five mm. minutes, you know, I, I mean, I don't, not everybody has that journey. Yeah. You know, I had nothing, nothing, no side effects, no hair loss, nothing. Wow. And we did the third day, we did the fifth day and we sat around and waited for my accounts to come back up. And, um, I got admitted, I think on the 23rd of November and I got out on the 29th of December. Oh, that suitcase of yours. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I spent Thanksgiving, Christmas, and my birthday in the hospital. Um, and it was great. I needed the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so many amazing things happened. The, um, the thing I had told you about before with the window. This is, oh. I got windows on two sides, right? Yes. And it is the 10th of December. I am done with the treatment for now. And they've done a bone marrow biopsy, which was how I found out nobody was going to lude me up like the other guy did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, no, we're not comfortable with this. I said, I don't give a shit about you being comfortable. This is about me being comfortable. Uh-huh. Like, no, we're concerned about respiration. And I said, that was done in an outpatient setting. We're in a hospital. Come on. <laughs> nope. Okay, so I get what I get, and it's okay. The guy was a good technician, and so I'm. I guess I guess I'm waiting on the results of the bone marrow biopsy. I mean, I mm-hmm. really didn't know the whole process then. I just like, okay, they do this, and then you know, and it's the tenth of December. It is the fifteenth anniversary of Richard's death. Mm. It is the first night of Hanukkah, and I don't claim any organized religion. But I always tell people I have a little Jewish heart because mm-hmm. my first first husband was Jewish. And it's always a thing I've had an affinity with. And so I'm sitting there in my bed and I'm looking out at these two windows and they're building the surgical tower and it's getting to be sundown. So it really is. And I'm thinking of all the places all over the world that are preparing for that first night of Hanukkah and the family gatherings and the candles and the whole nine yard spiel that goes on for that. And that it's been 15 years since Richard died. 
and Ken's dead and Jane and Francis now have my dog mm. and I don't live at that house anymore, which was a lovely home. And everything's just kind of, you know, gone. And in walks Sasha Tuckman, who's now the attending. Mm-hmm. I don't know squat about Sasha Tuckman. I don't know if he's Jewish, Polish. I don't know anything about him. I'm guessing mm-hmm. maybe on this first night of Hanukkah, right at sundown. And he comes in and sits down on my couch. I said, you know, it always makes me nervous, guys, when you sit down. <laughs> He says, don't be nervous. He said, I've come to tell you that you have clean marrow. And I I couldn't talk, which mm-hmm. is probably hard to believe at this point. <laughs> uh, I, could, I, I just, I've never been that kind of speechless. Mm-hmm. And this feeling that shot through me as when I wrote about it later, it was like being shot through with diamonds. Mm. And when I wrote about it, I, I think I, I guess he got up and left because I don't remember saying anything to him. No, I did. I said a little bit to him and and then he did leave. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, I guess there's still a little oil in the temple left for me. And he left. And I just sat there and I thought, what is this feeling? This is, is this what grace feels like? And if this is what all the people that I love who are gone and dead, if this is what they feel every day, that it's going to be okay when I get there. Hmm. But not yet. Not yet. And that was probably one of the most significant moments in my life. When you're able to say, let your will be done, that was hard for me to say at the beginning of my treatment. But as I'm walking through it, I'm like, let your will be done. If that means I'm going to be here and see my kids grow up or I'm going to be here to have kids or this amazing husband that I've met in Hawaii, had to go to Hawaii to meet somebody, really? (laughs) And all this to be taken away. It took me a while to have that feeling you're talking about. I call it my grace period. You don't realize it's happening until it like happens. It's sitting on you and you're like, wow, this is what it is. And then all else kinds of falls in place. Stuff starts to fall in place for you. For me, it just started to fall in place. And I'm not like talking about materialistic stuff. I'm just, life started to make sense again. Mm-hmm. Because nothing made sense before. Like it started to make sense again. And that was so hard for me to say, let your will be done. Whatever you have for me. Because I'm also saying whatever you have, whether it's I'm here on this side or the other side, it's okay. And that's hard to to actually say and believe it. Like I can say it. I was actually believing it now. So that grace, that mercy that you feel, oh my goodness. You were being shot through with diamonds. Like you said. It was amazing. 
We're going to have to the- again or something because um, we've been talking yeah. for an and we're not even up to transplant yet. I know we still, you know <laughs> what I already was thinking at like minute 26, I'm going to do a second part to this because I know you are so, so busy and I appreciate your time, but I, I do want, before we get off of here, because we're going to have to go back, I want to talk about transplant. I knew that this was going to be great and um. I'm going to convince you to be on live because, oh, my goodness, your second part will be so amazing um, after we put out the podcast. But being on the fourth floor, people don't understand the cancer center fourth floor. I had to be there. I was I end up having some blood clots or something happened in my world where. I had to be on that fourth floor. And my husband was like, this is better than any hotel I have stayed in. <laughs> and when you said the doctor sat on the couch, there's this long, beautiful couch that's, it's different. And yeah. that, that environment is what you need. And having those windows and being able to look out, you're dealing with so much stuff. So dealing with all of that stuff and being able to still find grace and mercy and everyone talking to you because you are a light. I had no idea that we were going to have the connection that we had, even with you, um, you know, texting me, giving me real estate yeah. <laughs> stuff. I haven't even told everyone. Now I'm, I'm in this new career of real estate and it's very interesting right now. And you give me the connections that you have and us just talking and chatting you have so much to give and I'm so Thank happy you. that I'm working with you on um, our palliative. Um, we're trying to put this team together, this group together um, to talk about the things that you're talking about. Now I have a clear understanding why you're so passionate about Jean's Bridge. So um, you guys stay tuned to that because we're really trying to put something together for people who are at the end of treatment or no longer want treatment or want to be just in that space where they can have quality of life versus having to go and force yourself to be treated for the grace of others. Yeah. That's so hard, man. Has it been an hour? It's been an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. We're, we're over. I don't know how this works, but we're over. Um, over. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I would, I'll be happy to do it you know, whatever yes. you would like to do, because it, um, the part two of this, and, and I'm not saying this for a dramatic effect, but the part two of this is where stuff started to come together where, um, and I, after in that meeting I had with Zeidner after I got out of the hospital and where mm-hmm. I kind of like re-met him. And, um, I said, you know, I know we have transplant ahead of us, but I said, you know, I got a, spiritual and mental reboot when Mm. I got sober and now I'm getting a physical reboot. Mm. And because when I saw him again in that meeting, he says, I'm sorry, I never came to see you when you were on the fourth floor. He says, but I kept up with everything. And he says, I kid you not, you are a rock star. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, thank you. I've been hearing that and and Mm -hmm. other things like that. It was such a positive and affirming environment. And, um, I said, you know, I got nothing to compare it to. I guess, you know, it's easy when you're not puking and pooping everywhere. (laughs) um, I said, what you see in me comes through me. What you are seeing is 35 years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. 
you guys don't learn much about alcoholism in med school. You learn even less about recovery. Mm. And this is what real sobriety looks like. This is what, because everything that I have used and given has, has come to me from Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not supposed to say that. It's come to me from a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And none of it has had anything to do with not drinking. Mm. It's all about learning how to live and to have a higher power. I don't care what you, you know, you can be Jewish, you can be Catholic, your higher power can be the trees in the forest. It really doesn't matter so long as you have a higher power that you believe is there for, as my sponsor told me in the beginning, what God has in mind for you is mm -hmm. way better than what you've got in mind for yourself. And my little arrogant brain said, nah, yeah. you know, really? But it intrigued me and it has been, and, and, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to get everything you need, or I'm, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean you're going to get everything, you, everything want. you want. And mm -hmm. you sure as hell aren't going to get the answers to why that's how you're going to learn humility is that you don't get to know why. Mm -hmm. That was my first entree into the concept of humility. Six million Jews stood in what looked like snowfall, but it wasn't. It was the ashes of their friends and relatives and said, why me, God? Why? I've been an observant Jew all my life. I've done nothing wrong. I've served you. I've given you children. I've given you that. Why? They didn't get an answer. What makes me think I'm going to get one? Hmm. I'm not going to get an answer. So, and I'm telling this designer, you know, nice Jewish boy from Joyce. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> And he's looking at me. I said, this has been the most spiritual transcendent experience in my life. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. He's really trying to, because I don't guess he sees or hears this a lot from patients. Mm -hmm. um, but I told him, I said, I am here for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. I can talk to a group of people, won't even raise my heart rate. You keep talking about it going live. I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I am here to carry this message because I'm here to be of service. And if somebody looking at me can get something from mm -hmm. what I say, just a little shred that can get them to the next point where they can get their own juice from it and take it to somebody else. And it all, I mean, I've talked to people, I watched the hair stand up on their arms and I'm like, this isn't me. This is coming mm. through me. And I don't know, you know, maybe when, you know, if things go wrong or a transplant doesn't work, I mean, there's some stuff that I, I go down that path and read things and get on blogs and this, that, mm -hmm. and the other. Nope, 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 nope. I'm, nope, stay. Nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Scared the shit out of me. That thing I told you recently, I found that. Yeah. Podcast. yeah. Nope. Can't. Nope. Pop the book, stopped. Found out she's back in the hospital getting another transplant. I'm like, I can't read about this. You can't. Not because I don't have empathy, but because it scares me. And if I'm scared, I'm not focusing on my faith and what I can do for somebody else. I'm focusing on little old me. Yes. Doesn't mean I have to be taking in all kinds of terrifying information in order to be useful. Yeah. Sometimes Google just, can scare you. I remember my doctor saying, stay off of it. <laughs> Here are the websites that you need to read. Outside of that, you're good. But I am so happy that you have blessed me with your presence. 
<laughs> now we're going to have a part two to this. <laughs> and I don't know, I might call it, you know, rock star. Let's rock and roll. Uh, talk to the dog. I don't know. We're going to come yeah, up the with dog, something. The dog's gone, so we got to well, leave him out. We got um, <clears throat> excuse me whatever you want to whatever you want to do we'll work it out together and um just you know so it gets out there and helps somebody i've you know you're right i have no social media presence but if if there was ever um and i have a massive ego and i'm vain as shit but <laughs> serious um but not so that i feel like i mean this invitation was like i said yes to this automatically because it came to me i didn't go seeking it i didn't yeah. go looking for a way to publish myself because that's not me yeah god brought this to me yes because and i keep putting myself in situations that i mean i went to a death cafe last night it was a little strange we are going um, to talk about that on the next one. Oh my goodness death cafe um yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Different. It, it's not a grief support thing um, it was at the nursing at the nursing home at the funeral home that took care of Ken. So it, I got a little residual um, emotion from it, you know, mm -hmm. because I was sitting in the, it was two hours. I'm sitting in there last night thinking, are you really, is really God's purpose for you being here is not so much about what you could get from, for PFAC and Jean's bridge and everything because mm -hmm. tuning mentioned that. Um, and then I found it. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. It's right around the corner. Yeah. Um, maybe you were here um, mm -hmm. to be back in this environment to talk to the lady. Um, Cause it's a female uh, funeral director. Who's yeah. got three kids, three teenagers and everything. And um, they got on the subject of, of people needing closure and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And that she's had bodies in there that were, she said, we had one guy, he was, he was charred from head mm -hmm. to toe. She says, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my career. And his father wanted to see him. And she's, she's I tried to dissuade him, but the father needed to see him. Yeah. Um, and touch him and all that. And because people need closure and how she'd been very sensitive to that and, and other situations. And I said, well, you know, and this is a room full of people. I said, I, I want to take this minute to thank you that you were, when I told you I wanted to see Ken and asked you just take his arm out of the body bag. Yeah. I just want to hold his hand again. Mm -hmm. You said to me, um, if you want to caress him, if you want to touch him and everything, his head is intact. Don't worry about touching his head and feeling a void. Yeah. And I said, I didn't realize at the time I mean, I didn't realize until the time you said that, that I kind of had that John F. Kennedy thing about, yeah. you know, his head, part of his head's missing. And you, you said, no, it was a single entry and a single exit wound. And so that helped me a lot that Ken, you know, I didn't touch him. I wanted to hold his hand and give him the gardenias and zip up the bag and go get a chicken. You know, you go on to the next thing, go on to the next thing. Um, but it was interesting, it, but, but it, it really is all about depowering the taboo about death. Mm -hmm. There was three death doulas there. Wow. People that are going through one went through it at the university of Vermont. You can, it's kind of a squishy accreditation. You can do it online for 650 bucks. Yeah. Said, you know, they took you through it and you had to write your will and you had to write your letter. They they kind of make you the dying person mm -hmm. so that you 
empathize. And then the fun, what I really went there for was to, I guess, in part to see if there was information about that, to see what yeah. do these people do. And basically they do whatever you want them to do mm. to kind of help you. And they said, you know, to hold that space for the, because a lot of times the family, and I think Jean mentioned this. Yeah. Family is like, oh, no, 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 no. You know? Yeah, um, I don't want to know about your will. Don't, don't I want to know about what's going on. Talk about like, that. Let's just live right now. And you're like, but I want to make sure that you're okay with the decisions that I'm making. Because when I'm gone, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. And she said, you know, it's little practical things like write your passwords down. Yes. They can't even get in your phone to invite so-and-so and so because your phone's locked up. Yeah. You know, and all and and but it's I think it's a lot of emotional support and being kind of a facilitator within the family where mm -hmm. there's dynamic that is possibly the, the gene person the yeah. patient has doesn't have the energy, mm -hmm. you know, or, or the inclination and just like, you know, we're, and a lot of people talked about that, how we, at the end of life of our loved one are so consumed with what we are losing. Mm -hmm. it, we make it all about us with the best intentions. We're trying to take wonderful care of them and this, that, and the other, but all of it ends up revolving around what I am going to lose because you are going to be gone. Yeah. And I'm going to miss you. And I, and it all begins with I, 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 and you, do you know how hard it is for a person to always be present when they know they're dying or they know that they're, you know, it could go either way. For my mother, I watched how she was trying to be present, why people came in and I, 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 and I was like, oh, I don't want it to be like that for me. So I was very private. You talk about having a very private circle because it takes so much energy to be present and to be present for other people that mean well, they're, yeah. they want to help you, but you just don't have the energy, literally don't have the energy or time. And you manage, you end up managing their emotions for them. Mm, that is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're almost about to hit the hour and 30 minute mark. I cannot believe it. Tita, I thought I was nervous, you know, before this um, podcast, because uh, you have so much to give. And I'm so happy that I met you, my friend. And Me I too. know we're not Thank just going to so do it live. Yep, we're going to be doing all kinds of stuff together. Yep. So guys, there will be a part two to this and hopefully soon after I come off a holiday we'll get together and we'll definitely do a live to finish up what we are talking about and introduce some new things yeah. to everyone so Tina thank you so much My I'm pleasure. gonna go ahead and say goodbye to our audience Tina we will definitely see you next time so just hold up backstage while I close this one out it was a All good right. one thank you Tina well guys you talk about your glow and how you define it. I kept the little ticker at the bottom of this 
the glow doesn't define me because I define the glow because that's exactly what Tina is doing and has been doing. I'm looking forward to seeing her again on our live. And we have quite a few podcasts that are going to be coming out. So just check us out, Chemo Glow. You guys know, you can email me. You can check us out and subscribe on YouTube. Again, chemoglow at gmail.com. Please share, subscribe, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm getting better at this. I appreciate you. Until next time, remember that the glow doesn't define me. I define the glow.